Well, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is October 4th, 2013, and this is broadcast number 48. And I'm thinking, when I get to broadcast 50, I should get a break. Some kind of jubilee, some kind of pause in the action, so I don't have to do any more interviews for, I forgot, how long is a jubilee? Is it seven years? Uh, that would be nice. Uh, anyway, just kidding. That's really a, a directed comment to my assistant who schedules all of my interviews for me and has had me very busy this week and last week and the week before and next week and from now until the end of seminary. And Dr. Piper says I'm going to keep doing this after I graduate. Uh-huh. Well, we'll see about that. But anyway, my name is William Hill. For those who uh, have never listened to this podcast before and did not know that, for those who listen to it all the time, you already knew that. So I'm reminding you who I am. And I do host this podcast each week, and it's coming to you live. Well, not live, but it's coming to you from Greenville Seminary here in Taylor's, South Carolina. Today we do have the uh, the privilege of speaking with a man who is uh, the moderator of the ARP, and we're going to be talking with him about the most recent ARP General Synod issues and uh, circumstances that resulted uh, from that synod, uh, issues that the church is dealing with there in the ARP, and more about that in just a minute. By now, everybody knows that we have a, a mobile app. Everybody has apps these days, right? I mean, it's the thing. And if you don't have one, well, you're really missing out. There's apps for everything. You know, the other night I ordered a pizza on my smartphone. It was great. I just pulled out my phone and ordered my pizza, and it, I didn't have to move. It was wonderful. No phone calls. I didn't have to talk to anybody. But anyway, we have an app here at Greenville Seminary where you can listen to this podcast wherever you are. In addition, you can listen to the theology conferences and the chapel sermons that are preached here each week. So, Make uh, use of that free app for your uh, iOS and or Android device, whatever your uh, preference. In addition, we do have the website, confessingourhope.com. There you'll find out all information about this podcast, who I am and who our guests are and what we're doing uh, on the podcast. And of course, gpts.edu is the webpage for Greenville Seminary. Perhaps you're interested in being a student. Maybe you want to find out more information about the school. You can do that at gpts.edu. All the information is there. But if by some chance it's not, you can write us at info at gpts.edu, and we will respond to you just as fast as possible. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking with a man who is the moderator of the ARP, and he's going to tell us a little bit about who the ARP is in just a few seconds. But we'll, we're going to be talking with... Uh, Mr. Jeff Kingswood, uh, the moderator of the ARP, about the most recent synod that was that occurred this year, 2013. We're going to be talking about various issues, for instance, Erskine College and Seminary, as well as other things. So, Jeff, it's great to have you on the program today, and thank you for enduring my absolutely silly and ridiculous opening. But anyway, thanks for being on and and um, and talking with us. It's a pleasure to be here, Bill. Jeff, do me a favor. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. When we off air, we talked a little bit about who you are and what your background was, and and I decided to take the host the cowardly way out and make you do all that that work, and I can sit here and listen to it again. Right. Well, I'm uh, a Canadian, Bill. I've, I was born and raised in uh, Ontario, southern Ontario, 
and I was educated at the University of Guelph, where I received a, a bachelor's degree in political studies and history. I went to Knox College at the University of Toronto, which is one of the seminaries of the Presbyterian Church in Canada, and I graduated from there with an MDiv. Uh, I was ordained in the Presbyterian Church in Canada, served in the Maritime Provinces here in New Brunswick, Canada, and uh, I'm currently uh, the pastor of Grace Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, which came into existence about 12 years ago. Uh, we were looking for a denominational connection and uh, as a church plant, and uh, we looked at a number of Presbyterian options and uh, came down to the ARP for a number of reasons. There were some ARP churches in the area here. Uh, we're small in number in Canada, only 10 congregations. But uh, we looked at the ethos and uh, thought it might be a good fit, and it has been. We've been very, very blessed in the ARP. So you've been with the ARP then uh, since the church you're currently pastoring joined with the denomination. That's correct, yes. Great, great. So you have quite a bit of history and knowledge and understanding of, of the history of the denomination, which is rather, um, it has a quite quite a big history. Can you tell us a little bit about the ARP? How did it come to be? Um, it's one of the oldest denominations, as best I know. It is, yes. Yeah. We uh, just recently had our 209th synod. I was the moderator of the 209th synod, and uh, our history goes back to the 1700s, and then in the early 1800s, the associate presbyteries and the reform presbyteries uh, came together and said that a lot of the things that had divided us uh, back in Scotland were not really relevant uh, in the southern states, which is where this uh primarily took place, although there was uh, this uniting action in the north too. Um, and so in the early 1800s, the Associate uh, Reformed Presbyterian Synod was formed and it's undergone a, a few evolutions, but by and large, it's remained apart from many of the larger mergers which formed the, the PCUS and, and uh, at the time of the, the Civil War, some of the shifts that took place there. And it's been a predominantly Southern denomination. Um, that's been good and bad. That's kept us from some of the trends in some of the mainline denominations towards uh, rank liberalism. And uh, mm -hmm. it's been a challenge culturally in breaking out of the South. Now, in, uh, in the 90s, 80s, 90s, the denomination started working its way north and west. And in um, 1991, the first congregation was founded in Canada, actually. And shortly thereafter, a couple more, and it's grown slowly, but it's up in New England, spreading that way. And we've got congregations uh, moving west in the south, and uh, we actually have a Pacific Presbytery, which is predominantly Korean now. But uh, we are uh, a growing denomination. We've, uh, we're pushing the 300 congregation mark, and uh, we're uh, uh, pleased with uh, the way the denomination's moving, by and large. It uh, had its brush with with liberalism, with the whole question of ordination of women and the authority of Scripture in the 70s and into the 80s. Denomination took a stand then, mostly uh, fueled by, by men who had gone to RTS and uh, who took a stand in the denomination, and uh, that was a turning point. And uh, that direction has been sustained with varying degrees of, of uh, speed, but uh, it's still moving in that direction, and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Now, how many congregations are in the ARP? Just you, you said they're growing. Yeah, just shy of three hundred. Okay. All right. Good. So it's helpful to get that context is what we're dealing with here. Now, just for the listeners' sake, 
And it, it is interesting because sometimes it's just a question of terminology. But when we're talking about, like, I, I'm an ordained elder in the PCA, which means that every year I go to General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Now, you're the moderator of the General Synod with the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What's the difference? Is there a difference between those? In terms um, of polity? Uh, no, we, yes. we have an actual General Synod, one minister and, and at least one elder from each congregation, depending on the size of the congregation, are uh, expected to be at Synod. And uh, so it is a true General Synod. It's just not called a General Assembly. It's functionally the same thing. Okay. Now, do you have a? Is it a delegated assembly, or is it any ordained officer can come? Any ordained officer. Okay. So that's similar then to, for those who are keeping score at home, that is similar to the way the PCA does things. Exactly. Uh, the OPC, on the other hand, does it differently, mm-hmm. um, and we've had that discussion when we talked with, um, who did we talk to? Well, I forgot. Doesn't matter. Go back and look at the archives. You'll figure it out. The OPC General Assembly, now they do a delegated assembly. So uh, a specific number of men from each presbytery is is assigned, appointed by presbytery to go to their General Assembly. Okay, so there's a little bit of a difference. So it's it's nice to see some friendly people on the PCA side of that process, even though I'm more in favor of the delegated process. But anyway, that's a different subject. Yes, we could have a great discussion some other day. so the ARP obviously has a great lengthy history, and, and you've already mentioned that that because of its history, because of its its time in existence, uh, certainly issues have come up, um, as most denominations have experienced. Uh, they're going to wrestle through some of these critical issues. You mentioned the ordination of women and, um, and the commitment to Scripture, and that was, interestingly, during the 70s, where we find like denominations like the PCA beginning to wrestle with some of those issues now of course we're much younger um in 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 our duration but what are some of the current issues maybe we'll just take these as they come um that you see the denomination both um maybe in your professional opinion but maybe then also in your personal opinion I mean, they maybe not be the same thing right um i think the thing we're most famous for at the moment is of course the the battle um with and I, I hate to use that word, but I, I think it's sort of characterized the, the way things have gone. Uh, the battle at Erskine Seminary and College, um, mm-hmm. that that's been in the forefront. It's been in the news. Um, there have been some unfortunate legal actions. Uh, those have been resolved and set aside. And um, at this last synod, actually, we made significant progress toward an understanding of. Uh, the place of the college in the life of the denomination, whether or not it is simply a college that has an ARP connection or whether it is actually an agency of the denomination and uh, the trustees of the college and the um, the synod have adopted language now in the charter and amending the charter to indicate that, no, this, is, this school is an agency of our denomination. And as such, the synod has the right to appoint um, men and women to the uh, board of trustees, and also in some cases, if necessary, has the right and authority to remove them. Uh, the, but there are processes and procedures set out for that. That's been a, a very contentious process, but uh, there's been a lot of progress made in the last three years, um, four years, and uh, this last synod was really a watershed. Uh, there, mm. there was 
cooperation and discussion. Uh, two men, Ken Wingate and Bill Kane. Bill Kane's the vice chairman of the uh, board of trustees, and Ken Wingate was appointed as the chairman of a special committee of Synod to try and hammer all this out. And they came together at Synod and, and brought a joint set of recommendations that really uh, led the Synod forward. The Synod was, was pleased to be led in that direction, happy that finally we had a, a way forward and some agreement. Now the agreement isn't... Uh, perfect. There are still some questions, uh, the relationship of the seminary to the college and uh, so on, but we're working those things out and in a much more congenial spirit than has been evidenced in the past. That's great. And, and, I, and, I, and I so much appreciate the idea, um, the connectivity of the seminary college to the denomination itself. Um, kind of, it kind of, for me at least, it plays right into that whole divine right of the church theology that I enjoy and, mm-hmm. and love so much. Um, that the only authority on earth that Christ shows Himself through is the church, and then the church then appoints these types of entities, these types of institutions upon which He has oversight, um, which I really appreciate. Um, and that's one thing that Erskine is doing. Uh, not Erskine, but the ARP is doing with. Um, the college and the seminary. Was that some of the issue, though, when it came to, is, was it an issue of control? Yes, that's what it was. Um, there, There's a strong element of, of the alumni population of Erskine College who want to see it as a um, sort of middle-of-the-road evangelical, to a degree, college, but uh, where there's an atmosphere of of uh, you know, sort of evangelical consensus, but not necessarily wanting to see that affect the policies, and certainly not wanting to see that affect the the curriculum and mm. uh, the the constraints on on what is taught and what isn't taught. And so there there's been a resistance there uh, from primarily, I would say, directed by the alumni. Although there are some within the church who would have trouble with the whole idea of the denomination controlling the school or, or um, if for lack of better language. But uh, there is a sense in the denomination at large, and it's the overwhelming majority in the Synod right now, that no, if, if the ARP's name is going to be on this college, it's got to be a college that is uh, biblical in orientation, that is striving to honor Christ in what is done and taught there. And uh, we realize that that those kind of, you know, it's a it's a huge change uh, in in mm-hmm. some areas particularly, and so it's going to take time. But we're we're moving, and uh, it at times seems glacial, but we are moving. Well, that's the definition of Presbyterianism, <laughs> yes, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing happens overnight. Nothing sometimes happens over the year, or years right. at times. It seems. Um, at least that's been my 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 experience in the. 15 years in the Presbyterian Church of America, so um, nothing seems to happen very quickly. Now, now the ARP, just for um, clarification, they subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith? That's correct. So then and Erskine then, yep, and so Erskine College and Seminary then, they would have to fall in line with that doctrinal... Well, that's, that is the crux of the discussion here, Bill. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Um, yep. Up until now, the denomination has followed a a um, statement that they they call this um, sort of an evangelical 
understanding of, of education. It's a it's a statement of principle on our understanding of education on what an evangelical education should look like, and it it's okay as far as it goes. It's mm-hmm. but it's broadly evangelical, and there are places where you could drive a bus through it. And I'm speaking personally here, not as the moderator. Uh, this is my opinion. I, I think it, it's it's inadequate, uh, certainly for a seminary. I mean, we could debate the college end of it, but because the seminary is involved here, uh, it, it's wholly inadequate as a guiding statement for a uh, for a seminary. And so there are there's a constituency in the ARP that would love, of course, to see uh, the the Mm -hmm. institution become confessional and subscription. Uh, We're not there yet. We're not even close. Uh, But um, we're at the place where any new hires, uh, the synod brought this into play, and it was one of the principles that were adopted at the last synod, any new hires, faculty, staff, uh, must subscribe to this statement of of evangelical education, but also subscribe to the the synod statements on the immediate historic uh, creation of Adam and the statement on inerrancy. And uh, that, of course, has raised some eyebrows. You're saying, well, how can we ask, for instance, a science professor to who who may have trouble with the historicity of Genesis one to three? How are we going to do that? How are we going to reconcile that? And the synod has said. Uh, do it. I know a guy you could. I know a guy you could contact. He he's tried to reconcile that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, so listen. Those who are wondering what was that comment all about, just listen to the last podcast. Anyway, sorry. Right. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> but that that's raised some some eyebrows, and people at the college perhaps are afraid that we're trying to turn it into a uh, quote. Uh, fundamentalist unquote institution. Um, that's certainly not. You know, in the current pejorative sense of what that term fundamentalist. Well, what makes the, what would make them say that? I mean, what what would give the impression that that's the goal of the synod to make it a fundamentalist? And when I hear fundamentalist, I think, well, I don't have a lot of positive things to think about that word. But um, I think everybody just kind of automatically knows what we mean when we say fundamentalist. Right. But why would they even think that, considering the the rich theological and doctrinal stance of the ARP? Because that rich theological and doctrinal heritage hasn't always been at the forefront, and some of the mm-hmm. discussions have been reduced to uh, simplistic sloganeering, and and the, it's used as a, a straw man by by people who want to resist the change, uh, and you know they're saying, oh, you're going to turn us into another, um, you know, southern, uh, you know, an Al Mohler kind of takeover, and and some of us are saying, yeah, what would be wrong with that? Um, it's, but there, there's this fear, and and it's been promulgated by by some who want to create this straw man of what this college will look like. Uh, we'll lose academic integrity. We'll lose our accreditation. All these things are being thrown out. None of them are true. There are there are, you know, you can name three or four institutions off the top of your head. I'm sure. I think of Geneva College in the RPCNA or Covenant College, or you know, who have. Uh, denominational control, who have certain requirements confessionally of their faculty, uh, and and they're not fundamentalist Bible colleges. They're liberal arts uh, institutions with a, a high degree of academic integrity. Now, these actions you took at this recent synod then affected both the college and the seminary. Yeah. Was there any was there any differences between the two? Well, the interesting thing is that um, last year. The board of the 
of the joint the, there's a one board for both institutions at with there's a seminary committee that functions as a subcommittee but what the board did was um, incorporate the seminary into the life of the college as a a graduate program of religious studies it's no longer set apart at least in terms of governance as a separate institution so any changes that affect the college immediately of necessity affect the seminary there are some who who think that was a bad move it was done for administrative purposes to try and reduce some overhead and administration costs and maybe that was a good thing uh, we could debate that but uh, mm. what the result is is that any changes that affect one affect the other. Hmm. Interesting. Now, just for the listeners' sake, where is Erskine College located? It's in due west, South Carolina. It's about a half an hour uh, south, 45 minutes south there of Greenville, and uh, in the little town of due west. And the college really is is about all there is to the to the town. The town exists to serve the college. At this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty sad. I didn't know where, I didn't know where it was either, and I'm only 30 minutes away from it. So what does that tell you? Right. That's what happens when you take a New a New York guy. Yeah. And you stick him in the South. He gets completely confused. Doesn't know what to do. Um, how about the seminary? Seminary's same place. It's located same all place. Same See, see I, that's why I tell you, I'm batting a thousand on this one. I'm right. showing my ignorance, but that's okay. People are laughing at home right now, and I'm glad they're entertained by my complete lack of information as to where these two places or these two schools are located. Here I am talking to the ARP moderator and don't know where the Erskine College and Seminary are. But thankfully, this is not TV, it's radio, so you can't see me embarrassed. That's right. At all. Um, and by the way, just for the listener's sake, it's something that I completely failed to say up front. And if I don't say this now, I'm going to forget. And um, and then Dr. Piper, the president of Greenville Seminary, is going to be beating down my door at some point in the future and wanting to know why I didn't say this. Uh, Jeff Kingswood is also the chairman of the board of trustees for Greenville Seminary. Just wanted everybody to know that. So I'm talking to my boss kind of in a way. <laughs> As long as as far and, as the flow chart goes, anyway. Yes, and so um, if I'm no, if there's no more podcast after today, y'all know why. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so so it sounds like the synod really got a good grasp of or a good control, as it were, at least some at some level, and an amicable level, uh, sidestepping what what ultimately sounds like could be a very serious departure um, for as far as the academic wing of the denomination. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there, there are a number of perspectives on that. Some people were saying, well, maybe we shouldn't be in the business of running a college and, and let it go and, and part our ways amicably. And, and others saying, no, we believe this is an important expression, as you've uh, mentioned earlier, of the Lordship of Christ. And, and we need mm-hmm. to continue this. And it's worth fighting for. And it's an important part of our heritage. It was founded, um, you know, in order to educate uh, men for the ministry of the ARP back when there weren't a lot of options. And uh, so that's why it's located where it is in the ARP heartland. And uh, it uh, and there were some who were saying, well, you know, it really, it, there's so many choices now, it, it's, it's superfluous. But it is an important part of our heritage and our, our uh, ARP culture, if you like. And I think uh, many people are, are convinced that it's something that's worth fighting for and worth saving. Yeah, I would agree. We've had a few students, um, we call it the ARP invasion, 
around the halls of Greenville Seminary. That's that's what it's affectionately referred <laughs> okay. to as. Okay, not a negative thing. Just so before all you ARP listeners start uh, bombing my inbox with hate mail, as it were, um, we we refer to it affectionately, not negatively. That's good. We're glad to have them and. Um, and as I mentioned earlier in the program, the, the rich history of the ARP, is, is, you can't ignore that. Right? No. It, most denominations don't last anywhere near as long, not close to as long as what the ARP has done. And, and through very tumultuous issues, one of which you mentioned earlier, and I want to come back to that at this point, the issue, the statement on inerrancy. Right. This, I remember the debates that occurred in 2012, and we were actually um, – I was actually at a prayer meeting um, – here in Greenville, and it was brought up, uh, pray for the Synod, pray for these men as they're deliberating and debating these issues, because the question of inerrancy of Scripture is a a deal-breaker. Yeah, absolutely. And and so what happened, give us the background and and, and the results from what what occurred. Um, The background. There has been debate and discussion about this subject in various forms. as I said, since the 70s, uh, well, since before that, really, but in the 70s, it came to a head around the issue of the ordination of women and uh, should women be elected to the office of elder and and uh, minister or teaching elder, depending on your office view. Um, but should women be allowed to hold that office? And it's an authority of scripture uh, issue. It's not a you know, as we all know, uh, anyone I think who's a supporter of Greenville Seminary would would hold to that position. And so, the men who, uh, as I said, there were there were a number of men who'd gone to school at RTS Jackson at that point. They were um, young leaders in the ARP, and they recognized this as a watershed issue. And so, they uh, led a a movement in the ARP to say, no, you know, this is a, a a scripture issue. This is an authority of scripture issue. This is a hermeneutical issue that's going to affect everything else. And if we if we give ground here, we've lost the battle. And so they stood firm, and uh, the ARP resisted that change. Um, there were some cultural reasons for that resistance too, but by and large, it was the the scriptural issue. But they at that point never uh, clearly articulated beyond what's already in the confession, but uh, mm-hmm. a view of of inerrancy. And so we operated with that as a, an unstated presupposition all these years. But in relationship now to a lot of the discussion in the broader culture and also at the college and, and seminary as to what's being taught, that issue of inerrancy became uh, central to our understanding, uh, the understanding of many in the denomination that if we're going to see a rec- an increased and continuing uh, movement of the ARP in the attitude of, of confessional fidelity, we need to nail this one down. Some people say it's already in the confession, we don't need to, but we thought it's such an issue that we need to be explicit. And so mm. uh, one uh, retired pastor actually got up and just made the motion on the floor, uh, out of the blue, really. Um, I mean, it had been discussed, but he, he got up and he just made a, a statement saying that we uh, affirm the inerrancy of the scriptures, you know, just very clear statement. And uh, there was some debate, really very little considering, uh, you know, the the what people thought might occur. Um, it was moved, I think there was, there was some vocal dissent, a, a few voices and when the vote was taken it was 
uh, at least 85%, uh, maybe more. It's hard to tell in a, it was just a voice vote. But uh, there were very few who, who voted against. And so the statement was adopted. And uh, it, it was a sweeping um, statement to make. Just there it is. And we're not going to quibble about... Um, you know what that means for Genesis one to three, and we're not going to debate that right now. We're just going to simply say that we believe the Scripture is the inerrant Word of God, and uh, that was adopted. There was some protest; a few dissents were registered, but by and large, uh, it was the the will of the denomination clearly. And we say, of course, it was. That's our confessional position. But uh, but to clarify it that way in this day and age is, is an important act, I think. Sure, I can think of one denomination that. Um says they subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith, where it clearly says the scriptures are inerrant in its original autographs. Yeah. But in practice, um, they could not be further from the truth. Right. They could not be further from that position. Yeah. Um, and the PCA went through something similar to this, not on as serious an issue as inerrancy, with by no means even remotely close to that. Um, but we went through that issue on intinction, and we wanted to make a statement that says, look, it's not allowed, it's, it's forbidden, even though our BCO... Our Book of Church Order says this is how you you serve the Lord's Supper. Um, we wanted to make a, a, a abundantly clear, as clear as crystal, that it's not going to be tolerated in the denomination. That was voted against. We lost. Right. Uh, those who were in favor of doing that, I being one of them, um, me being one of them. If Dr. Piper's listening to this, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> um, that's an inside joke. He's always correcting my yes, grammar. Those who have heard me with him on interviews before knows he does that on the air, even with me. So it should be not a surprise. Even when you're reading but, questions, Bill. Yes, but he. <laughs> so we, you know, we lost that because we wanted to make that clear, crystal statement. Now, yes, certainly it wasn't as serious as inerrancy. So that was that was that resolved then in 2012. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then. There's another issue here, and I want to come back to this because this is the one that I'm, I'm sure that those who are familiar with the ARP and their um, in in this subject is probably they're probably thinking kind of like I'm thinking right now. the The issue of ordination of women. Right. Now, when did that issue break uh, break out, and how did that get resolved? Like I said, it was in the the 70s that it began to simmer. Uh, you know the feminist issue rising in the 60s and in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, and it came to a head, and I forget the year, Bill, 78, 79, somewhere in there. Uh, it came to a head at a synod when when women actually, um, you know, they didn't chain themselves to anything, but they they grabbed the microphones at the synod meeting, or they, they clung to them and said, we're not leaving until you vote in favor of this. And, and <laughs> even people who were... You know, even mildly sympathetic, were offended by this breach of of protocol and this this disruption of the synod, and they lost any sympathy they had, and it was just crushed, yeah, resounding. Like chaining yourself to a tree so the bulldozer can't exactly. Tree. And, and that was the down. that was, and, and so they were trying to hold the synod hostage, and, and right. people were rightly offended by that. And uh, you know, I think even some people who were sort of waffling just took a look at that and said, "No way, we don't want to go there." No. So so the issue then was resolved in the sense that only men are can hold the office of elder and uh, teaching elder, ruling elder. I don't know if you guys make that distinction, but regardless, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Right. We're three offices. Yeah. Let's, but let's talk about deacons. 
Right. We do allow uh, for women deacons. And uh, you, of course, you knew I was going to ask that. Yeah, I did. It's always I, I have a lot of interaction up here with brothers in the United Reformed Churches and some of the Dutch denominations. And that one always right. comes up. And yeah. part of it is that the office of deacon in the Dutch polity has something of a ruling function. He works in the broader consistory, the deacon. And uh, so he has some some level of rule and authority within the denomination. Now, the deacons in our polity don't have that. Um, they don't have that ruling function. Uh, they're ministers of mercy, and they're called to give some oversight in terms of uh, the distribution of the resources of the congregation, but they don't have a ruling function. And so, uh, in line with the historic I think the historic uh, development of that in the in the Scottish Church. You see it in the 19th century. You have these deaconesses who uh, ministered primarily in uh, orphanages, in uh, Sunday school movements, in care for widows and orphans. Uh, a lot like a Titus II woman, really. And uh, these these women were involved in areas where it might not be thought appropriate for a man to be involved in, and. Uh, providing care for those uh, who, who needed it. And uh, you see that in some of Chalmers' work and uh, those men who really helped us rethink what that kind of ministry looks like. And uh, so the deaconess in, in Presbyterianism has been thought of differently than it has in some other polities. And uh, so these women who function as deaconesses um, do so, I think, with some historical precedent. So we now, it, now having said that, very few of our congregations actually have women deacons. You know, I heard that, and 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 I'm glad you said that because, um, unfortunately, this subject, you know, whenever it comes up, it sounds like it's like the, the it's like going after the Achilles heel, and that, and 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 I'm not asking it for that purpose, right? Um, and I want to be real clear with people listening to this. I'm not attacking anything. I'm just asking the question because it's germane yeah, it's, to the issue of ordination of men and elders and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, it, and 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 people tend to say, you know, they glom on to these, these what they perceive to be weaknesses. I, mean, I certainly have my opinion. but um, and, and they sort of use that as the end-all, be-all argument of the, the, the state of the denomination itself. Um, and that's, that, that's not my intention. Right, um, yeah. But now, was this was the women deacon issue? Was that something that has been pretty much ongoing through the denomination long before the issue came to head with uh, men elders ministers in the seventies? Yeah. Okay, because I was wondering if that didn't happen in the seventies as a compromise in the right sense of the word compromise, not like yeah. retreating from truth, but um, just trying to be get along with others and sort of find that halfway point. If that wasn't the, that result, so throw them alone, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, not so, that's not the motivation. Okay, so this has been like a, a, an historic position that the ARPs held. Yeah. Pretty much from day one. Yeah, I okay. I was uh, ordained as I said in the Presbyterian Church in Canada, which is a, a mainline liberal denomination. But they the function of the deaconess was uh, certainly a part of that denomination, and and we actually had a deaconess training school in Toronto, which was just a few blocks up the road from the seminary, and there uh, women were were trained in catechetical instruction and and mm -hmm. uh, you know Christian education things like that, and and were you know, powerfully used in, in yeah. both the mission movement and in, in home missions in uh, areas of inner city work. And uh, so perhaps I'm a little uh, 
biased and sympathetic because of that. Having said that, we don't have any women deacons in my congregation. And uh, okay, he's okay, folks. He said that I didn't ask that question. Yeah, the thought went through my head. I will admit. Yes. But. No, we don't, and we don't in any of our Canadian congregations. Um, I. I would be hard-pressed to name, well, no, I could name a couple, but as I said, it's certainly not the predominant practice. Yeah, very good. Well, it, there's other issues that the ARP is obviously wrestling with. We had done an interview, as I mentioned to you off-air, and the listeners who listen faithfully every week know, uh, actually they don't know because I haven't released this yet. In fact, next week, which won't mean anything to anybody because this interview we're doing with you will come out after this one that I'm going to talk about. Right. <laughs> If, okay, if everybody got that straight in their head, great. This is anachronistic if not, reference if, here. If not, don't worry about it. Um, but I interviewed two men that were on, uh, two men that were on the committee of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, who um, this committee uh, developed uh, through study and um, and and great debate and labor uh, a document that. Um, uh, that was titled The Gospel and Sexual Orientation. I interviewed both of these men um, and talked through that document with them, and the ARP is now considering adopting that. Is that correct? That's correct. That came about, um, the the RPCNA adopted it in 2012, is that right? And uh, we, uh, Dr. William Van Dodewaard of Puritan Reformed um, Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids is a member of our Canadian Presbytery. He's an ARP minister. And uh, Bill brought that to the Canadian Presbytery saying, let's look at this. This is a really good statement. And we we read it as a Presbytery and uh, unanimously recommended to our Theological and Social Cerns Committee of Synod. We sent a memorial to Synod um, urging that this be studied and toward uh, adoption by our denomination as well as a position paper. The Well, you're going to cover it, you've covered it in your discussion already, but the, the thing about it is it's not just a, a theological determination of what the rights and right. wrongs, it's a very pastoral right. document. And it, it presents these theological truths in a pastoral context, which is wonderful and so necessary in our day and age. It's just a great yep. document. It is. It's it's outstanding. And for those who listen to this podcast, hit and miss. Um, maybe you didn't listen to that interview, but if you didn't, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, there on the webpage is the document. So if you want to read it for yourself, it is, as uh, uh, Mr. Kingswood has just said, it is an extremely pastoral approach to what is otherwise a very difficult issue in our culture. I mean, I, I interviewed a man a number of weeks ago on the issue of how the church should deal and interact with those who struggle with same-sex attraction and what's the response of pastors and elders in the church when you're dealing with members in the church that have this, um, what they view as a social stigma. And it, it, it's it, for some unknown reason in the church, it gets treated like it's the un, it's the unpardonable sin mm-hmm. and, and the rustlings that the people go with, go through on it. And what I really appreciated about this report was how pastoral it was in its approach. It didn't back away from what God's Word says about the subject. It dealt with it theologically, with with um, with intellectual care, with theological care. But then it saw it, it, it desired to bridge the gap between the theological issue and how do we minister to people who have these struggles. I mean, it's it, it, it's not that it's a unique sin and nothing new under the sun. Solomon says, but 
in our culture today, it's more in our face than it's been uh, many, many years ago. And the church ought to be able to respond. And this is a, it's a wonderful document, wonderful paper. Yeah. And I'm glad. That, and it, what I really appreciate about this is I was thinking about um, the ARP potentially adopting this is that there we see the interconnectivity, the connectedness of Christ's church, even across denominational lines. Yeah, that's really true. I mean, we're both members of NAPARC, as is the PCA, and uh, we're uh, conscious of the fact that we, we don't need to be reinventing the wheel all the time. Our, our brother uh, brothers and, and our sister denominations have, have worked through some of these issues, and they've done it carefully, and we need to avail ourselves of their labors and uh, be blessed by those. We don't need to each come up with a unique statement. And so we saw that as a, a real blessing. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. been good, that relationship. Very good. Now, another issue that, you, that you've also dealt with, which is we see more in the forefront in today's theological um, wranglings, theological world, is the issue over the historicity of Adam. That's right. Now, it's not a new attack. You know, Satan's been busy trying to defeat Genesis since Genesis was written. Um, but we see it really making inroads in certain circumstances. How did the ARP respond to this? The uh, the issue came to us as a memorial from our Mississippi Valley Presbytery. Uh, actually, I think from our uh, Louisville congregation. Um, and uh, it came to Synod. Uh, the language in which it originally came to us was a bit contentious. Some people had some, some question about it. So uh, there was some uh, amendment on the floor. But what it comes down to is that the ARP... And I don't have the statement in front of me. I can't quote it directly. But what it says is that we believe in the immediate uh, historic creation of Adam, that uh, we don't go for any of these you know, evolving hominids over days and ages or however you want to uh, interpret Genesis, but uh, that Adam was immediately created in the image of God and uh, that otherwise, as, as the argument leading up to the debates that we lose Romans five, we lose the gospel. And so, mm -hmm. uh, fundamentally, uh, this has, has been addressed and, uh, adopted again with, with no significant dissent. There were a few who wanted to quibble about, uh, you know, phrases here and there, but, uh, when it was adopted, it was overwhelming and, uh, no registered dissent at all. And in the voice vote, I, I think I heard maybe two or three voices opposed to it. Yep. Well, Presbyt it wouldn't be Presbyterians. We wouldn't be Presbyterians if we didn't quibble over some word or statement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's my first experience on the overtures committee was, <laughs> that's what I, was very much that way. It was like, okay, so we're going to just change this word and this word and it's all good now. And before it wasn't, uh, ah. Anyway, and, and just for the listener's sake, maybe you're in a different church polity situation. You may be your PCA, your OPC. I believe when, when Mr. Kingswood says memorial, in your mind, you ought to hear overture. Overture. Okay. They are the same thing. That's right. It's a different word, but it does the, it accomplishes the same thing. Um, it may be dealt with differently at, the, at their general synod level than the, what the PCA does or the OPC, but functionally, it's the same that's right. It, it's the way in which a, a subject is brought before the, the Synod or the General right. Assembly. As we wrap things up, uh, Jeff, just um, every year the President of the United States gets the opportunity to stand in front of Congress and um, give the State of the Union. 
Right. That's one of the things that he gets to do with all the fanfare and the hypocritical applauses and whatnot. I always find it rather laughable sometimes. But he still gets to give the State of the Union, and it's always a political statement, of course, almost certainly. But without all the political rancor and the fanfare, um, if you were to give a State of the ARP, what kind of assessment would you give at this point in time? The assessment that I'd give is that the ARP is a denomination of, of warm piety, of mm. evangelical fervor, and of a increasing desire to become uh, consistently confessional. Uh, it's not there yet. It, it is sort of the, um, the warm, fuzzy Presbyterian denomination, if you'd like, the southern... Uh, can't we all just get along um, denomination <laughs> yeah. and, and that's characterized it but there's an increasing desire especially among the young men coming in and uh, I've noticed that more and more that there's this desire for a consistent a, a principled Presbyterianism uh, rooted in, in confessional fidelity and uh, that's growing and built on that warm piety it's a great combination and I'm really encouraged by the direction the ARP is going uh, there are battles. There will continue to be battles. Uh, there will be battles until Christ comes. But uh, I'm happy to be part of the ARP. I'm I'm aware of some of its weaknesses, but I am still very thankful for uh, the grace that God has shown to us as a denomination and for the uh, many blessings that we've been able to celebrate together. So uh, that that is really where... Um, where I'd like to leave it. I think it's it's uh, it's moving in a good direction. Great. Well, it's good to hear, and it's encouraging, especially on some of these issues we discussed today, um, that the denomination as a whole uh, put their foot down on on what I would consider to be pretty. Um, they're, they're deal-breaker issues, I think, for the average church-going member who doesn't follow all the ins and outs of all these issues, but they just know, look, I believe the Bible's God's Word. I believe it speaks truth, and that's it. Right. I don't need all this. And when my church says, well, you know, we're really not sure about that, um, it, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know what's going to happen. Right. Um, and then speaking, speaking so definitively about Adam, uh, that he was immediately historically created by God, he breathed into his into him the breath of life. He formed him out of the dust of the ground. That's it. None of this nonsense that we hear a lot about, unfortunately, and creating quite a bit of confusion, I think, for the average pew sitter. And I use that word in a friendly way. Uh, average pew sitting individual in the church uh, who don't have they don't have the time to sit and read every theological tomb, uh, theological book on the subject. Um, they they have to trust. At some level, their ministers and their elders to guide them to green pastures, right. not this junk that's being put out there. Um, sadly, so um, so it's good to hear at the ARP. I was in a situation just as a background for your own benefit, and the listeners can they can turn it off now if they want. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, but they, we were. I was in a church situation where they were just trying to determine what denomination to uh, to be affiliated with. Um, I was pushing very, st and they were they had narrowed it down to two: um, the CREC, oh yeah, and the A and the ARP. And um, of course, I was there 
let's join the ARP, let's join the ARP. And I had my reasons. Um, and, and of course, what did, what did I hear right away? Oh, they, they have women deacons. You know, remember I was telling you about the Achilles heel thing? Yep. And that, that was supposed to be the deal breaker, right? And I was like, okay, wait a minute. And went through that. And they ended up with the CREC, much to my um, horror. But okay, so they went there. And um, fine. Uh, you know, there wasn't much I could do about it. And, um, but I was really hoping that they would have, and my argument was, look, this is the dominations that stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. They've been around for a long time. They've seen a lot of different issues. They've dealt with a lot of different issues. They're not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect denomination, but I, uh, but their longevity, their commitment to the confession, to the, to the inerrancy of scripture, uh, these things to me are, are of, of substance that we can count on. Um, they're not. They didn't just show up yesterday, and and that's what I appreciate appreciate about the ARP. It's history, and its commitment on that level. And so, um, it, it's good to hear of men doing the, a good work, um, what Christ has called them to do in these in these these areas specifically. There's others. We didn't talk about missions. We didn't talk about a lot of other things. No, that's right. That we that we certainly could have talked about, but time, of course, is run away as it's prone to do. Remember I told I told you I said I don't know how long this I I never try to go more than an hour but I don't I don't know if we'll ever get, we'll get to an hour but sometimes we but we always end up doing it because the conversation just builds and goes and so I'm glad that you took the time to talk about this and I hope those who listen to this they're encouraged by one for one even if you're not in the ARP. Yeah. Be encouraged by the fact that Christ is leading his church. Amen. And 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 so he's guiding and directing through his men that he is ordained to do this task using these means to to keep his sheep in pastures that are green and good. And um but we but we don't get don't get fat and happy and 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 then start thinking, well, you know, everything's just fine and we'll everything'll go along just fine. There is an enemy out there who is constantly working against us. And so you pray for the ARP. I mean that you pray for these men that labor in this denomination. You pray for the ministers. You pray as you would pray for your own. You pray for them, um, and God will bless that. And um, again, it's Christ that leads His church. Um, even with all of us uh, silly men that try to do this task, that it's amazing it works out the way it works out sometimes. Yeah, but God's just gracious. Goes to sh- right, it just goes to show you that God is is certainly gracious. Any further comments? No, I thank you for the opportunity, Bill. I, I appreciate it and uh, appreciate the, the ministry here, the podcasts, and uh, pray the Lord will continue to bless that as well. Great. Thank you. Hold on just for just a second while I wrap things up and tell everybody what's going on on the podcast. Next week, and I already made this mistake on the last episode, so this is going to sound like a repeat. I realized just a few minutes ago that I had done this, but next week coming up, we'll be talking with a man who's written a book on a subject of, um, well, it's a subject that I think, I don't think I'm going out on a limb, but I would suspect that most people, every pe- every person, all people, at some time or another in their life has struggled with at some level, and it's the sin of gossip. Mm. And we're going to be talking with a man who's written a book, Resisting Gossip. It's an intriguing title, Resisting Gossip. The man who's written this book is Matthew Mitchell, and we'll be talking with him on this particular topic, one that, um, well, you might be involved in it and don't even know it. Who knows? But we're going to talk with him about it and unpack this a little bit further. The subtitle of it is Winning the War of the Wagging Tongue. I love it. (laughs) I mean, it's just perfect. Great picture of what gossip really 
uh, amounts to. So we'll be talking with him next week on the podcast. So until then, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless. Thank you.